Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, presented by our good friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. This is Chip Clark, one of your co-hosts for the show, and I am so glad to be back with you guys today in the studio to record this episode. It has been four or five weeks, and I have to apologize. I know you guys have had to put up with Matt as your host for the last four or five weeks, and you were probably thinking to yourself, goodness gracious, when is Chip coming back? Well, I am back And I do have to say, Matt has done a fantastic job interviewing our guest over the last month and a half. If you haven't listened to some of those episodes, man, they are so good. You got to go back and listen to them. They are just very, very insightful. So we're going to hop into today's episode. I'm telling you, this was an absolute honor to be able to interview um, Coach Bobby Crimmins, a basketball coaching legend. We had a very real, raw, candid, open conversation about his coaching journey. There's some things that I learned in this episode that I had never known about Coach before, and I've been following him since I was in grade school. So um, we can't wait for you to hear this episode. So without further ado, we are going to hop right in. It's the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Let's go! The winning coach of the ACC Tournament Championship, Bobby Kremens. Bobby, you look like you're a little bit of a daze. I am a little bit of a daze. You know, it's amazing. 20 years ago, I lost one of the biggest things in my life here, an ACC Championship game. And these kids gave me something back today. I wish my college coach, Fran McGuire, was here, but about five or six of my teammates were here today. And it brought something back. But we really played inspiring basketball. I said during the end of the broadcast, I know your dad's looking on somewhere, isn't he? It is showtime on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Uh, This is Chip Clark back as your host for the podcast episode tonight, and it is my treat to be able to interview a college basketball coaching legend for our show tonight. I I know I've been away for a a few episodes, and Matt has done a great job interviewing our other guests that we have on, so I'm actually really excited that my first episode back in a a few weeks is is with one of my childhood heroes, watching him on the sidelines. He is a Naismith Coach of the Year. He's a three-time ACC Coach of the Year, four-time SoCon Coach of the Year, and we're honored to have him join us tonight. Coach Bobby Crimmins, thank you so much for coming on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, Chip. Well, we are going to have a fun conversation tonight. We're going to talk about a variety of different things. We're going to take a trip down some of your history um, in basketball um, we're going to have you give some advice to coaches, um, which is the one of the main reasons they come and listen to our show in the first place. Um, but we're going to go through, you know, the highs and lows, too. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so the first thing I have to ask you, though, is how is retirement? It's great. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my wife um, saved our money. And um, I, um, I've been able to... Um, you know, retire in a beautiful place in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And um, I miss the game sometimes. Uh, I've enjoyed, I've actually enjoyed watching the NBA. And um, I'm really, really looking forward to college basketball. Uh, but so, but I stay busy, Chip. Uh, I got a new project. I'm writing a book. That's I right. started that a little bit before the, the, the virus. And then once the pandemic came, um, I really got into, I, I, I didn't want to go stir crazy. So I started to write more. I'm on chapter eight. And so I try and stay busy. I think it's very important. I stay busy by doing projects. I'm involved in a lot of charity, a lot of charity golf outings, but right now with the virus, all those charity outings, most of them have been canceled or I don't feel real comfortable going to, uh, an event yet. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, 
you know, you've spoken for us before at, at our United Basketball Coaches Clinics, and we had to cancel ours this year as well. And I, I hate to see all these charity events and coaches clinics canceled and everything. So we got to do what we got to do, though, right? And uh, to keep everybody safe. And we can't get back. I can't wait to get back to some sense of normalcy, like being able to have our coaches clinics again next year. At least Matt and myself have had this outlet to be able to continue talking to coaches and being able to continue to share content and stuff like that and keep that going. It's been fantastic. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really excited to have you on tonight. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you another question as we get to some of the basketball content, but first I got to tell you this, Matt and myself, we go to Hilton head um, from time to time. <laughs> and we actually, a few months ago when we started the podcast, we were like, we've got to interview coach Crimmins. I wonder if he would go for, um, us meeting him on the golf course and interviewing him for the podcast on the golf course. But that was right around the time coronavirus hit. And we were like, listen, we'll just save that for later. But we've got to, we've got to get together and play some golf. You play, right? Yeah, I do play. Not as much as everybody thinks. Um, um, I do love golf, but it's, you know, not, can't, can't touch basketball. Exactly. But uh, golf has been a tremendous savior during the pandemic. For instance, um, the club I belong to, um, during the whole time, I think it was closed one time for three or four days. And it has saved so many people. Uh, the driving range, I go to the driving range every day and just to get out of the house and get some fresh air. I only play two, maybe, maybe three times a week, but usually two. Uh, but I enjoy the game. I'm really looking forward to watching the U.S. Open. And, of course, you know, the great Bobby Jones went to Georgia Tech. Absolutely. And, and they have one of, you know, they, 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 the last two years in a row, Chip, they won the U.S. Amateur, uh, two players. And yes, so golf, they have a great golf program. But uh, it's all because of the legendary Bobby Jones. That's right. That's right. Bobby Jones did go to Georgia Tech. That's amazing. Um, I'm definitely, I've definitely enjoyed playing a few rounds. Um during the pandemic and it's really helped me keep some of my sanity. I live across from a golf course right over there. And so it's been nice to walk over there and then hit the range from time to time and just keep my head straight right. for sure. Well, uh, we're tonight on the show, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about a variety of, of topics and you have so many accolades from your coaching days. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of the highs and a lot of the, the great players you had on your team and, and your coaching career. I wanted to start the podcast episode though, a little differently than I normally would. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a question that has to deal with adversity. All right. Because I feel like coaches these days, whether it be the pandemic or whether it be a bad loss um, that they go through or um, a challenging time on their team, dealing with adversity is really important. We've seen a lot of teams in the past where like college teams, especially where a bad loss can really sideline the rest of their season and they just can't rebound mentally from that. So if you'll allow me and humor me for a second, I'm going to take us back. We're going to go back to 1995, 96 season, if you don't mind. Okay. And this is my personal firsthand story, right? So I've been, I've, my dad had me in Georgia tech clothes from as soon as I was born. And uh, I saw you on my TV growing up all the time and 95, 96, we moved uh, to Georgia from Tennessee um, when I was 10 years old. So I was 11 in 95, 96. And uh, we were, I was really excited. We're going to go up to, uh, to watch you guys, you and your team, Georgia Tech play in Atlanta. And we lived in Warner Robins, Georgia, driving an hour plus up, up to, uh, to watch you guys play. And so I, I remember it's my mom and my dad and me and my brother. And it was at the Omni that night. And I'm sorry to rip off an old Band-Aid, right? But uh, it was the game against Mount St. Mary's, right, in December. Yeah. And, uh, and that game, I remember us being up in the stands, and I had watched you guys plenty of times before on TV and in person. It was at the Omni that night. I remember Stefan Marbury had um, tied the game up with free throws. I remember the .7 seconds left on the clock. Mount St. Mary's has the ball. They run a four-out set. All four of their guys are on the perimeter. They have a guy cut loose. And this is all – I can't find any game film on this, Coach. This is all my memory, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I see them get break loose, catch the ball under the basket, lay it in, buzzer beater, to knock off your number 21 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at the time. Now, I got to say this. At that time, that started a four-game losing skid for you guys, right? But after that, you and your team rebounded. And I think out of your next your, – the following 19 games, I think you only lost three of those games. You ended up finishing number one in the ACC that year in the regular season, taking away that title. Um, you, you go on to, to get to the Sweet 16 before you lost to Cincinnati. But I want you to tell us firsthand how you 
and your team were able to get over that adversity and get over that bad loss. You see it last year with, with Duke losing a game they shouldn't have lost and Kentucky losing a game they shouldn't have lost when they were ranked number one in the country. So those bad losses, what about those high school coaches out there, those college coaches out there that had that tough loss, they go through <laughs> adversity with their team. What advice would you give them on rebounding from one of those tough losses and being able to get back on track? Well, um, uh, Chip, it's, um, adversity is a very important subject um, for coaches. Um, and it's an important subject that they need to deal with. Um, it's very important. Um, I, obviously, I, I know a lot more now than I did then. Um, um, you know, just getting back to that game, that was uh, Coach Jim Whalen. Uh, he's a coach that wears a bow tie. He, he's won a lot of games. Yes, he has. And, um, we were we were coming off a Hawaii trip, and we would you know we would jet lag. Uh, I probably should have rested us a little bit better. Our gym was being renovated for the Olympics, and there was a lot going on. And uh, they played an outstanding game, and we took them lightly. And they ran a great play at the end, and I could vividly remember that they got a layup. I was really upset because we. We were supposed to switch. They did a screen on the screener play, which is a very famous out-of-bounds underneath play. And we were supposed to switch, and we did not switch. And next thing you know, we had two guys guarding somebody who set the screen. And the guy coming off the screen, who had originally set a screen, uh, he's wide open for a layup. It's called screen-to-screener play. And so it was a wonderful play. We were aware of the play but we did not defend it properly. But, um, you know, adversity is such an important part of the development of a coach. I think Coach K does it better than anybody that I've seen. And I recommend Coach K's uh, uh, philosophy to a lot of young coaches. And his philosophy is um, to make sure that you take every learning, uh, losing experience as a learning tool to go forward. He calls it uh, a learning tool. And when he loses a game, uh, the first thing he'll do in the locker room is tell his team, you know, okay, we are going to use this loss as a learning tool to make us better. And I, I just can't think of a better message than that. Um, and, you know, now that I'm older, I, one of my rules is um, I try not to look in my rearview mirror. Uh, keep your eyes forward. Um, if you study sports, if you read, if you study sports, you will realize all the great ones have been upset. Uh, you take tennis, you take golf, and you realize that, you know, upsets are part of the, they're part of the journey. And how you deal with them is very important. And at times, I hate to admit this, there were times I didn't deal with them real well. Mostly, um, I, I took it out. I was harder on myself than I was on our team. Um, but it's part of the game. And it could make you stronger. If you, if you will embrace it, if you will do what Coach K says, learn from it, it will make you stronger. And it will make you a better coach. And it, it will make you a better team. That's that's great advice, and I love Coach K's method of of dealing with that adversity and the way you you said it very well. I think uh, some of the best players in the game we've seen them shake off stuff and move forward. As a coach, though, sometimes it's difficult because we're dealing with it ourselves, right? Coaches are dealing with it themselves, and then they also have a team to lead, and they've got different personalities on that team that may take it a different way. And to be able to galvanize the team and move forward the way you guys did in the ninety five ninety six season, to be able to go on and have a successful you know, finished the season was fantastic. And you mentioned that time where you guys had a lot of things going on. You guys had just beaten, I think, if I remember correctly, number 25 Louisville right before that game. And then you had to take on number two Massachusetts. So it wasn't an easy task. That was sandwiched in there between them. Wait, you know, you know, people started saying, you know, well, you you lost the same areas. How the hell are you going to beat anybody in the ACC? But again, Chip, what you can do sometimes I've seen coaches change their lineup and I've seen them insert somebody else in the starting lineup and they were like a complete different team. I've actually seen coaches um, change their um, offenses 
Um, now, changing your offense is, is difficult to do, especially uh, during the season. But you could make tremendous tweaks in your offense. And you could go in, and within a two- to six-day period, your team could come out with a complete different look. And I've seen coaches do that, and I love it. I love it. When I see a team stink, and then three or four or five days later, they look like a complete different team, and they go out there and play some basketball. It's impressive. And coaches that are able to make that adjustment are some successful coaches. And and like you did, I mean, you said people are saying you're not going to win any games in the ACC after that loss. All you did was, I, I believe, go 13-3 and three in the ACC that year, right? So, yeah. I mean, pretty yeah, successful season. Panic. You can't panic. And, and that comes back to your demeanor. That comes back to your philosophy. But obviously, if you panic, you know what the results will be. Absolutely. Well, now coaching in that, I've got another question for you. Coaching in the era that you did, obviously, and not this question gets beat up a lot and, and used in pod, basketball podcasts all the time. So I'm going to try to frame it a different way. Uh, we know the game has changed since you were on the sidelines, right? We've seen the game change and evolve over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, but I wanted to ask you, having coached in that, that different sort of basketball era, um, what's something that you implemented back during your coaching career when you were with your teams that you feel would be effective for today's coaches to be able to implement in their programs? Well, you know, one of my things that I, I was always important to me, uh, Chip, was um, team, team basketball, team, T-A-M, capital T-A-M, and small M-E. And I think um, when you play together, when you play unselfish, it's, it's just incredible what the results can be. Uh, I mentioned the NBA, and, you know, Miami right now is a bit of a sleeper. And um, I just can't get over how well they pass the ball to each other and how well they find the open man and how unselfish they are. Uh, Denver, D Denver, you know, Denver, you talk about adversity. I should have mentioned Denver. You know, the, two series, they're down three to one. And they, they come back and win three in a row, three in a row. But um, they're playing tremendous team basketball. And I think, you know, the game itself might change, but that fact, that fact never changes. And when I watch basketball, that's the one thing I look for. You know, um, when a, one of the players get double teamed in the post, for instance, does, does he find the open man? Does he know how to find the open man? Um, when a player gets trapped, what are the other four guys doing? Are they standing around? Are they moving to the correct spots? Because if you can make a pass out of a trap, all of a sudden you've got an advantage. You have a 4-3 advantage. And you've got to be able to find the open man. You've got to be unselfish because if you're a great player, you're going to get trapped. And you've got to give up the basketball. You've got to find the open man. And it, to me, you know, team, the emphasis on team, not only offensively, but defensively. You know, you've got to make the right defensive rotations. And if one guy doesn't make that right defensive rotation, it breaks down your entire defense. Uh, things like, you know, closing out. Closing out is such important. Rotating. Blocking out after the shot goes up because you have different assignments. I think rotations are so important. Closeouts are so important. Um, do you trap or not trap? Forcing the ball one way, downing the ball on the side. Uh, so what I, what I think is it's so important that whatever you do, you have to do it with a team concept involved. And when, if you, as a coach, if you could find that team concept and take away personal agendas, take away selfishness, you're going you're gonna to come up with something special. Coaching is all about relationships, and I've been blessed to have a great relationship with my good friends at Dr. Dish for several years. Not only do they offer the best shooting machine in the market, they also care deeply about coaches and players in your program. The Dr. Dish is about so much more than just, quote, getting shots up. Your players and team will have purposeful reps, get feedback on their shot, and there's hundreds of drills they can do individually and as a team. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Dish B-Ball. That's at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Mention this podcast and receive your exclusive discount.
you know, that unselfish play and the team first mentality is something that I saw that we're seeing a lot now in the NBA playoffs where you mentioned Miami, but um, it was something I saw a lot out of your teams when I watched you coach. And, uh, and with that said, now as the game has changed, I wanted to also ask you, uh, you like I said, we spend a lot of time talking about culture here. Um, what, if you were a coach today, with the game changing and having changed the way it has over the last you know decade, what would your approach to coaching be today? Would it have changed? What do you think? What what would you have changed from yesteryear to today? Well, you know, I left Georgia Tech in two thousand. I went I went back to coaching in two thousand six at College of Charleston, and everybody said, you know, are you going to be able to adjust? Are you going to be able to to keep up with you know the the game? I said, you know. Yeah, you know, I said it's not the game I'm worried about. It's you know, it's the young kids. Um, you know how how have they changed? Um, and I had to really keep an eye on on them. I think going back uh, when I went back to coaching, I think um, I had to be more positive, Chip, um, because the old you know I was part of the old days, and you know the old days, uh, coaches could really get on you, and uh, the kids took it the wrong way. But going back to coaching, um, I felt like I had to change my demeanor at times and just um, stay positive and make sure that uh, a player did not lose his confidence. Um, so if I went back to coaching today, um, I would keep my philosophy. I love fast break basketball, but I would my number one culture thing would be what I just said. It would be team. It would be all about the team, everything we did. And that doesn't mean you can't be a star and score 30, 30, 40 points a game. Right. You could be a star as long as it's under the team concept. Everything would be predicated on the team. That, that would be number one. I would not change that. Um, you know, a lot of people now play four out, one in. So you got to adjust uh, defensively. Uh, make sure you can guard the three. The three has become such an important part of our game today. I would put an emphasis on guarding the three, but the game itself, you know, I, I feel, I you know I'm 73 years old, but I feel like I could coach again if I had to, if I had to. Now, I don't want to go through that grind, but I would go back with number one, that team concept, Chip. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone listening to this show or anyone in the country thinks that you couldn't go back and do it right now, because I know that, that we all know that you could, especially with the, the values that you have and the, the team concept first and the knowledge of the game that you have. I mean, goodness, you know, you flip on a television set, you know, during college basketball season these days. And every now and then I'm just like, I'll, I'll, when I'm not working a game, right, I'll get home and I'll throw on a game and I'm like, there's Coach Crimmins. He's got the headset on. He's, he's the color guy for the game, doing the, the analysis and everything, and you you still you know the game, Coach, and you've, you've always known it. You've done a great job with that. I love hearing you on there. Have you, talk for a second about how you enjoy that when you get the chance to do well, it. Well, um, I loved it. I had some voice problems, Chip. I had some lar laryngitis at the wrong time, and I didn't know a lot about that, you know, how important your throat is and um, taking care of your throat and speaking. And so I had some problems with that, but I loved it because it kept me close to the game. As a matter of fact, when I went back to coaching at College of Charleston, one of the great things I had going for me was that I'd been doing a lot of games during that six years absence. And I went to a lot of practices. I prepared hard for the games and I kept up with the game through being a broadcaster. And that really, really helped me. So I loved it. Uh, there's a lot of people that go into it. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I, um, you know, I don't want to go out and just, you know, totally criticize a, cro a coach because I know the ups and downs. I know the, the trials and tribulations of coaching. And sometimes, you know, when a coach all of a sudden they, their team stinks, um, I know what that feels like. And I know what that coach is going through. Now, you know, we all sign up for the same thing. And, you know, if you, your teams continue to lose and play poorly, uh, you know what's inevitable. Absolutely, you do, and uh, I I love that you got that you got that opportunity to stay close to the game with that, and that's one of the reasons I went. I don't even know if you know this, coach, but I'm a men's college basketball referee, uh, an official. That's my 
that's my gig during basketball. I'm not a coach. Matt's the coach in this, in this uh, duo on the uh, clinics and stuff, but I'm a college men's college basketball referee and a high school basketball referee. And that was, that's what I did to be able to stay close to the game after my playing days were over. And I yeah, love being fantastic. able to get to stay close to the game. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, I, you know, I admire that. I would never be an official. I tried that once as an assistant coach to the Olympics. Did you really? And, you got to tell me about that. You did? Uh, that's a crazy story. <laughs> it's pretty well known. Um, I was assistant coach to Lenny Wilkins, and I was trying to help out one day, and I made the fatal mistake of asking him. I said, you want me to officiate once we started scrimmaging? The scrimmage oh, part, boy. Right? And Carl Malone about took my head off. Are you serious? And I am dead serious. And Charles Barkley, you know, he's a friend of mine. And uh, so they thought I favored him. Right. And Reggie Miller, uh, he took a shot and he missed it. And I didn't call a foul. And he said to me, that was a foul. I said, no, it wasn't. And he says, I never miss a, I never missed that shot unless I get fouled. <laughs> So finally, I, I begged Lenny Wilkins to bring in the officials, and right. finally, if the, the the officials came in, that's amazing. So, that is a great story, coach. So I admire what you do. I think it's great. I think you got uh, a lot of challenges to be. I think the most important thing is is your integrity, and um, and just go out there and keep your eye off the scoreboard and keep your eye on the court. And uh, make sure that you um, allow those those players to um, enjoy the great game that we have today. Absolutely. And that's why we exist as an officials is to officiate a safe and fair contest and being able to have our integrity is the most important thing out there. And people's perception is what it is. You know, people have their perception about coaches. They have the perception about referees right. and staying above board. And everything that we do is of utmost importance for the student athletes and for coaches as well. And so, um, yeah, I love being a part. That was a great story. Thanks for sharing that. And while we were on that, that was that was when you were an assistant coach for um, the Olympic Games, right? For the dream, the yeah. second dream yeah. team, right? Uh, dream team two. Lenny Wilkins was a head coach. Jerry Sloan was the assistant. He passed away recently. And then the college coaches were um, Clem Haskins from Minnesota and myself. In Dream Team One, um, the head coach was Chuck Daly. Um, his, he had an NBA assistant. I guess it was Lenny Wilkins, probably. I'm not sure. And the college coaches were um, Coach K and PJ Colissimo. That's amazing. And that was the, the Olympic Games in Atlanta there. That was right after the 95-96 college basketball season that we talked about um, earlier, which is great. You coming off that great season at Georgia Tech. Speaking of Georgia Tech, let's go back there for a second. You, you had the opportunity, and a lot of this is due to how outstanding you were as a recruiter. You know, you're, you're known for a lot of things, um, you know, in the basketball coaching world. Whether it's your your iconic hair, your Brooke, your Bronx accent, you know your accolades on the court, but one of the things you are also known for is just being a great recruiter and the pipeline you the point guard pipeline you had from you know from the Bronx up there. But you got a you got a chance to coach a lot of players like you know Mark Price and John the Spider Sally. You had Lethal Weapon Three with with Ka Kenny Anderson, Dennis the Great Scott, Brian Oliver. Um, you know, we mentioned Stephon Marbury earlier, a lot of great players that you had there. Can you kind of speak to, I know you don't want to leave anybody out, but can you kind of speak to the impact that they had for what you were trying to build there at Georgia Tech? Oh boy. It's, you know, it's immeasurable. Um, but you got to remember, I played for a great recruiter. I played for um, the great Frank McGuire and coach McGuire um, taught me that what makes great coaches is great players. And um, I played with probably the greatest player who ever played at the University of South Carolina, John Roach. Um, I played with Tommy Owens, Tommy Riker. They were all Americans. Um, I saw Coach Aguirre recruit players like Kevin Joyce, um, Mike Dunleavy, Brian Winters, Alex English. And, um, and I saw the impact that these players had on Coach McGuire's program. And so uh, I owe Coach McGuire so much. But once I got into coaching, I always remembered what he told me, that great players make great coaches. And, um, and you, you've got to have talent on the court. I don't care if you're a great coach. Um, you know, that could keep you in games. But, you know, you need talent. You need people to put the ball in the basket. And um, 
I was very fortunate. I'll tell you, and one other thing, I had great assistant coaches. Um, and I, I always tell coaches today when you get a job, to me, one of the key parts is um, your staff. I had George Felton, who's now, uh, he does the, the scouting for the San Antonio Spurs. Kevin Cantwell, Derek Wittenberg, Sherman Dillard, um, Ben Job, who passed away. I had great assistants. And I emphasize recruiting at staff meetings. That's fantastic. Um, and I know that you you mentioned Coach McGuire and, and the time you played with him at South Carolina. And, and I believe I was listening to your uh, a podcast episode with you recently that you talked about when you were at Appalachian State, a lot of the stuff that you had learned from him. And by the way, you were one of the – at that time, I think you were one of the youngest Division One coaches in college basketball when you were hired on at Appalachian State. Yeah. And uh, how old were you again at that time? 27. Wow, 27 years old. Um, but being able to implement a lot of those things that that you saw in Coach McGuire, and a lot of that was, and I heard you talk about on another episode or another podcast, was that pipeline that you had to New York. Can you elaborate on that for a second? I know our listeners would love it. Yeah, um, well, when I got the job at Appalachian, um, I, I started calling around the state of North Carolina, Chip, and uh, I did not like the feedback I received at all. It was um, – uh, you know, it was very discouraging for me. And I said, I had a moment where I said, what have I got myself into? And then I remembered Frank McGuire and I remembered my New York roots. And I, I made a telephone call to a, a scout in New York by the name of Tommy Kachowski. And I told him I had a problem. I said, Tommy, um, I've got scholarships, but I have, uh, I don't know who to give them to. And I, I'm not sure what to do. So I, I, I'm coming up to New York. And I'd like to spend a whole week with you and, um, and let's go around and give out scholarships. <laughs> and uh, so I came up to New York. I picked him up. We went to a few postseason tournaments, which was great. Uh, and I picked up five New Yorkers in that week. Wow. And, I, and they all came to Boone. And one of them, uh, one was Daryl Robinson, who probably – you know, I'm biased, probably the greatest player ever to play at Appalachian. Became a high school coach in Raleigh. And so that that really, really helped a lot. Oh, for sure. That's that's fantastic. And I know you've taken a lot of those things that you've learned with you. And I know you stayed in contact with with you know your former coaches after long after you were gone. With that being said, the guys I mentioned to you earlier um that, that played for you at Georgia Tech. You know, what's your relationship like with them now? I know I've seen you with, with Lethal Weapon 3 at, at McCamish Pavilion at Georgia right. Tech games and stuff. I know you connect with them sometimes. You, you, are you able to talk to a lot of these guys still? Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they know they could call me anytime. Dennis Scott just called the other day talking about how he's got a new basketball out. And, uh, and really? Dennis, yeah. And Dennis, it's called uh, Leave It. And um, he makes sure that, when you know, when you – when you shoot the ball, leave it. He was explaining it to me, but Dennis does, you know, NBA stuff. Right. And um, we have a reunion game once a year at Georgia Tech, and I try and get back for that game and see everybody. Uh, Kenny Anderson is the head coach of Fisk University in Nashville. Yes, sir. Um, Brian Oliver is, um, he does uh, broadcast, but um, he is a architecture in, um, in Atlanta. And I do talk to them, and I enjoy talking to them. Um, and I hope they realize that they could call me anytime. I, I feel like I can call them anytime. Some guys, you know, Chip, some guys you never hear from. And sometimes I pick up the phone and just say, uh, just call and see if you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Right. Well, being the kind of coach that you were, I know this is the case. And, and I know that a lot of coaches that listen to our podcast – they aspire to be like that in the sense of, you know, long after they want their legacy to be one where the players that they coach, they have that bond with them. You know what I mean? And, and long after their playing days, they feel comfortable calling them back and talking to them about stuff and having that personal connection with them is something that I think takes coaches games and, the, and their teams to the next level. And we certainly saw that with you. I, let me say this. Let me say this. It's a great point what you're saying. But I tell coaches, you know, they have to be themselves. And, and I want you to notice, I, I have not, you know, gotten along with every player I've coached. I've, I've had to kick kids out of the program. 
And, um, and it's not easy. That's one of the toughest things to do is to eliminate somebody from your program. But I've had to do that. But without a doubt, every coach knows this. You know, one of your main responsibilities besides winning games and developing talent is that you make sure that these young men um, become, you know, adults, um, grow, grow into good citizen, citizens and, um, you know, and really learn as much as they can about life from you. That's a very important distinction. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because it's not all sunshine and roses all the time. You know, it's it's one of those coaching is tough, you know, and there's going to be people that butt heads and different personalities on the team. Obviously, you know, sometimes there's different results with that. When you're trying to have a common goal, some people can't get bought in and some and sometimes you have to do what's right for the team. So yeah, I'm glad you I, made that distinction. Yeah, I tell coaches to you gotta be yourself, but but if 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 it's not if yourself is not working, then you gotta you gotta have a you gotta look in the mirror, you gotta take a deep look at yourself, and you gotta talk to people that you love and trust, and you gotta possibly change, make some changes. And and I've seen that happen, and I've seen coaches who have changed and saved their careers. I've seen some coaches who did not change and they lost their careers. It's a perfect transition to the next question I had um, because it's so important. I, I saw something on Twitter the other day where I think someone had posted a, um, it's a letter, it's like a recruiting letter type thing or a, a survey um, that a possible coach, you know, a college coach sends out to high school coaches um, to, to inquire about a player. And on that questionnaire is questions like, are they on time for class? Are they on time for practice? Do they miss practices? What's your relationship like with them? This, that, and the other. So my question to you is, I know you're a great recruiter. Outside of the measurables, the things that show up on the stat sheet, what were things that you looked for in the recruits that, that you were recruiting to come play for you at all your basketball stops? Well, um, off the court, you know, Georgia Tech is, is a tough academic uh, institution. And um, uh, we, first thing we had to do was look at their academic transcript. Now, now Chip, if a kid was borderline, if he had a, a very good GPA but a low um, uh, SAT or ACT score, uh, we took a good look at that kid. Um, but we wanted a kid who could, you know, fit academically. And I always had a rule, if I, if I recruited a kid and he did not fit academically, and I made a mistake, I would try and transfer that young man out and get him to where he'd be more comfortable. Um, the other thing is what I mentioned earlier that you never read in stats is the unselfishness. When you see a kid play, you know, does he, know, does he understand the game? Is he, is he, does he have tunnel vision or does he have um, peripheral vision? Will he find the open man? Will he make the extra pass? Will he defend? Does he put, does he put his heart into defense as much as he does his offense? Will, will he get on the floor for a loose ball? Will he go to the boards? You know, I, I can remember recruiting. I, I'd be watching a game, and I did not notice this young man at all. And all of a sudden, he would make a great block, or all of a sudden there'd be a loose ball and he was the first one on the floor. All of a sudden there'd be a loose ball rebound and he would come up with. And, and, and I've offered kids scholarships just on a few things like that. There was a kid at Appalachian state by the name of Mel Hubbard. And um, he didn't, he couldn't score. He couldn't, but he just, he, he blocked this shot that I couldn't believe. I just could not believe the effort he made in blocking his shot. He was a high jumper in high school. And um, he averaged about, you know, in high school, he averaged about six points a game. But uh, he came to Appalachian and became a, a really important part of our championship team. He became a big success. And he led the conference in block shots. Wow. That's that's amazing. That's great that you looked for that and that some of those plays just stuck out to you. Coaches, you know, you guys that are listening out there, I mean, these days, your players, they want to get to the next level. Um, sharing these kind of stories with them 
about things that coaches look for at the next level, um, things that stick out, that set them apart from other players that maybe they're neck and neck with, you know, battling for a scholarship with, that they don't even know who those people are. These are the type of things that stick out to, to coaches. And uh, that's, that's really impressive, Coach. I love that. Um, let me ask you this. I, I wanted to ask you an interesting question that I don't know if I've ever seen the, the answer to. And so um, I know when you're in your tenure at Georgia Tech, in 1993, you had decided to take the coaching job at South. And if you don't want to talk about this, this is fine. But I know you you had agreed to take the head coach job at South Carolina, your alma mater. And I know just a few days later, you decided to stay at Georgia Tech, which I'm glad you did personally. But I'd love to hear the backstory to, to kind of how that transpired and what was your thought process like and what factored into that decision? Yeah, I just finished that chapter. That was chapter eight. Really? Um, yeah. And um, the, my book is called My Journey with the Game I Love. And uh, chapter eight was my senior year at South Carolina. Excuse me. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I got I had two crises at South Carolina, Chip. So All now right. I'm thinking about the first one as a player. Okay. I, had, I did not finish that chapter. That chapter is going to be like chapter 13 or 14. Awesome. Um, but uh, what happened, Chip, is, um, you know, I made, I made a big mistake. First of all, uh, there was only two schools that I would ever consider leaving Georgia Tech for. One was my alma mater, South Carolina, and the other one was Notre Dame because my parents are from Ireland and, uh, you know, they're devout Irish Catholics. And um, I had the opportunity for both those schools. Amazing. And, but I really screwed up the South Carolina um, thing. I said no at first. Uh, the, the athletic director, um, um, McGee, um, um, the Mike Mike McGee who passed away, he was um, he, he was a dookie. Uh, I felt I felt bad for him. I put him in a bad spot, and I, I went over the fine line. And I thought I, I said no at first, and then I thought you know maybe this is the right time to make a move. And then once I got there, I felt like Judas. My whole body turned on me. I felt like I betrayed everything I stood for, and I had to get out of it because uh, my body. Something was going on. You know, I I could have really been physically, uh, I could have had a heart attack. Something was going on. I couldn't sleep, so I had to. I had a very difficult choice to make, uh, but I made it. And um, and it was you know I made a complete fool out of myself. What what really helped me a lot, um, Chip was um, Eddie Fogler was hired right after I left, and Eddie Fogler was the national coach of the year at Vanderbilt. And once they hired Eddie, I, that really helped a lot with my recovery because I then felt like South Carolina was in great hands. Um, I, I, you know, other coaches go through it. Um, that's how I got the College of Charleston job. Greg Marshall took the job at College of Charleston from Winthrop and then changed his mind, went back to Winthrop. And it happens a lot, more than you realize. And it's a very, very difficult thing to go through uh, Dana Altman, the head coach of Oregon, went through it. And um, you have to get through it. And like I said before, when we started this conversation, uh, I try not to look in my rearview mirror. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that story and taking a, taking a look back for us, at least. I, I've always wanted to know kind of the thought process. And I can't even imagine you know, I know you've said it happens other places for sure, and we've seen that clearly. But knowing that kind of the behind the scenes of that and the struggle that that was in your mind, was it was it your passion for Georgia Tech that you think played a part in that? Or I I think it was um yeah I think it was Judas Judas I just felt like I, I felt like Judas mm-hmm. I felt like a complete phony and and my body reacted reacted um, you know it just you know. I could tell, you know, I, I just stepped over the line. I made a mistake. And sometimes, you know, you do things and your body turns on you. Mm-hmm. And when your body turns on you, um, it's happened to me a couple of times. And it's not a good feeling. It's, no. um, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a bad state to be in. And if you, if you don't get the proper help, um, you could be in serious trouble and, and not recover. I'm glad you brought that point up because that's definitely something that people deal with a lot. And um, 
I'm I'm glad that it worked out. I'm glad that you were able to come back to Georgia Tech, and and ha- I'm glad I was able to watch you at Georgia Tech for a few more years after that, um, personally. So yeah. um, I'm glad Frank Frank Martin's doing a great job at South Carolina. I'm right. so happy to see him go to the Final Four. I try and go to one game a year in Columbia, right, and see see some of my old teammates and so forth. I know that South Carolina holds a special place in your heart, and Frank Martin is a great coach, by the way. I love yes, to watch him coach. I love to watch his press conferences, too. They're solid gold. Um, but you know, as we wind down, I'd, I'd love, you know, as we mentioned, you going back to Georgia Tech, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what Georgia Tech means to you because you did spend the bulk of your coaching career there. Um, you became a household name there, in my opinion, even though you were known when you were at Appalachian State. Household name there. You know, kind of tell us a little bit about your – you know, kind of your attachment to Georgia Tech now? Well, Chip, it all started with, um, you know, I lost an ACC championship game as a player. That was that was my first life crisis. That was the right. one I, <laughs> I, that's the one I was talking about. And that, that really, um, I didn't handle that very well either. Uh, I was immature. And, um, and I, that's a chapter I just finished, um, the, my first life crisis. So, um, as I got into coaching, when my playing days stopped, um, I, I, I started to think about wouldn't it be great to play in the conference where I, I played? And wouldn't it be great to get redemption and win an ACC championship as a coach that I lost as a player? So, you know, that wasn't my main thing, but I just thought that would be cool. It, it could maybe, um, you know, take away all those demons I've had in me from that game. And, um, and sure enough, that's, that's what happened. But I was always motivated. So um, when the Georgia Tech job opened up, the, the number one thing I saw, ironically, this is really ironic, that um, my alma mater left the ACC and Georgia Tech stepped in. And all I saw when I looked at Georgia Tech, Chip, was ACC basketball, the conference where I played and a chance to get redemption for an ACC championship. It became my baby. It was, I was at the right place at the right time. It's a great academic institution. The city of Atlanta is unbelievable. And um, they, they have a lot of passionate fans at Georgia Tech. They have a lot of great history in football. They have Bobby Dodd, uh, Bill Curry, George O'Leary. And boy, they had a pretty good win in the opening game. That was impressive. That was impressive, Coach. What a game that was. Coach, you you talk about culture building and stuff like that. It seems like that guy never stops, man. (laughs) Coach Collins, Collins he is energy all the time. Him and his whole coaching staff. Tashard Choice coming back was a great, great choice for him to to bring him back. I mean, his energy is contagious. Just great men, too. It is. He's so positive, and and you're right. He has so much energy. But um, then the alumni at Georgia Tech, I didn't realize what a powerful alumni base uh, that we have. And it's a school of high, high integrity. And my athletic director was Homer Rice, who was the athletic director in North Carolina. And I really believed in Dr. Rice's vision. So I came there at the right time. Uh, they were down. I had no, we had nowhere to go but up. And uh, I fell in love with the city of Atlanta. I fell in love with the Georgia Tech people. Dr. Rice was fantastic. Um, it was just a great fit. It became my baby. Well, we fell in love with you too, Coach. Um, yeah. And I know uh, I know there's a lot of fans when you go back to games there, which I see you there quite a bit at McCamish Pavilion, yeah. um, you know, the, the old Alexander Memorial Coliseum. But um, I see you there from time to time. I see people coming up to you and shaking your hand and, and talking to you and um, we certainly love Bobby Crimmins for sure for all that you brought to us in the program and all that you've done for us. Heck, you're on our court. It's your court now. Crimmins, <laughs> Crimmins court. I mean, come on. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love great, seeing it. That, that, that was a great that was a great honor. I'm sure it was, Coach. Well, listen, as we're winding down, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. This has been a dream of mine. If you'd have told me when I was eleven years old watching you on the television set that I'd someday be able to sit down and sit down with you for an interview. I would have told you you're lying, but this has been an incredible honor coach. Um, last thing I, you've been able to, uh, you've, you know, generously agreed to speak with, speak at our coaches clinics in the past. Um, a couple of years ago, you spoke at our Chattanooga, our Southeast Tennessee coaches clinic in Chattanooga. You spoke at our, uh, um, 
our clinic in Greenville, South Carolina as well. You did a great job at both of those. If you don't mind, could you tell us your opinion of our clinics that we run and, and your experience there speaking for us at our uh, United Basketball Coaches Clinics? Yeah, I'm very impressed. I was very impressed with you guys. You guys had great speakers. If I remember when I went to Greenville, you had the head coach of Furman. That's right. Speak, and, and he is doing a fantastic job. So I was very impressed with your clinics. I was very impressed with the coaches that you had. It was very organized. I love clinics, Chip. Um, I grew up going to UB Brown, um, Dean Smith, Bobby Knight clinics. Uh, UB Brown, was, he's one of the greatest clinicians of all time. And uh, Bobby Knight. And I learned so much through clinics. And I, I actually love clinics. So. You guys do a first-class job. You have great coaches. I mean, you know, um, you have coaches that are, are on their way. You, you, of course, you have uh, – you might have had when, – when I was there, you might have had – in Chattanooga, you might have had Rick Barnes too. But you, you, got, you get premier coaches. But you also get young coaches at smaller programs who are on their way up. And I love that. I absolutely love seeing a coach that nobody knows about and listening to him speak. And I, I, after I listened to him speak, I got a pretty good idea of what direction he's headed. That's great. I'm so glad you said that. We love to have a good balance of that. We like to bring in some of the big names that really know what they're talking about. But some of these, these smaller college coaches, I'm telling you, man, I've learned so much from them at our coaches clinics. And, and to be honest with you, one of the reasons I love helping organize this with, with Matt is as a referee, it helps me learn the game even more and learn the yep. strategy behind it. And that helps me in my career path too. And, and I know it helps a lot of our coaches and our coaches that attend our clinics just are eager to learn. And I know they loved having you there. And thank you so much for the kind words um, about our coaches clinics. And, and I know that you go into those clinics coming when you were coming up is probably a large reason why you agree to do some of these clinics and speak at them too, is to give back. And that's the kind of person you are. And we, we sure do appreciate your connection with us and, and especially for coming on tonight. So coach Crimmins, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. Um, hopefully we'll get a uh, chance to touch base again soon. And maybe who knows in the future, maybe we can play around the golf together. <laughs> okay. Chip, you're most welcome. And, and I'm glad that you were pushing basketball. And most of all, I hope we have a college basketball season. Absolutely. Uh, we, we both are in the same mind on that one. Coach Crimmins, thanks again so much for being on the show. We sure do appreciate you. We'll talk soon. Okay, Chip. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, there is somebody to thank for that. That would be our good friends over at Dr. Dish Basketball. They're one of the big reasons we're able to continue to bring you quality content week after week, and we're so proud that they have partnered with us in this endeavor. I'm telling you, coaches, if you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. That's right. It's so much more than just your standard shooting machine. They offer custom training, coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and they have your best interests in mind. If you'd like to purchase one of their machines, you could visit drdishbasketball.com. And when you talk to him, make sure you mention the United Podcast to receive your exclusive discount, courtesy of United Basketball Clinics and Dr. Dish Basketball. If you like this content as well, make sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and if you could, you could leave us a detailed review as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you back next time on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. <laughs>